This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 21. In today's episode, Dr. KP, a PhD-level clinician, licensed clinical social worker and researcher, will answer these six questions from our community. 1. I have been in a narcissistic relationship for four years. The gaslighting has just been too much for me. I feel helpless, powerless, and I have been indecisive lately because of self-doubt. How can I overcome and heal from this? 2. What are the signs that someone is gaslighting you? I have so much self-doubt about the stuff that I'm going through and I'm having a hard time separating the lies and manipulation from reality. 3. Why do narcissists bait you? Do they get some sort of satisfaction out of it or is it all just one big manipulation? 4. How should I respond to a baiting narcissist? 5. What are some of the most important things that you should do to support someone who is experiencing narcissistic abuse? 6. What are some of the most important boundaries that you should set with a narcissist? I know that narcissists don't respect boundaries, so I'm looking for boundaries that I can set with myself. For example, don't believe the future faking. Hi, Dr. KP. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode and speak with you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. Nice to have you here. So uh, let's get started with the questions. So today we have six questions. And the first one is, I have been in a narcissistic relationship for four years. The gaslighting has just been too much for me. I feel helpless, powerless, and I have been indecisive lately because of self-doubt. How can I overcome or heal from this? Um, okay, so I think first, before we even I even say anything about this, I just want to say to whoever put this question that I'm sorry, being in, a, in an abusive relationship for that long is exhausting. And the fact that they have been able to manage it for four years is already a lot. Um, I know in the first time that you invited me, I mentioned my background as an acculturation researcher. So I just want to start a little bit by that in case... People didn't hear the first podcast that I did with you guys. Is um, I do as an acculturation researcher bring culture to a lot of the answers that I give um, for this particular topic, and um, this question is no different than that. I know in different cultures, whether you're collectivist or you're individualistic, uh, leaving every a romantic relationship, especially under the oath of marriage, can be more complicated, right? So in some cultures, divorce is a lot more common than in others, especially when faith and religion play in part of that. Uh, those people that believe that together forever and we're gonna marry and I make this commitment to you or to my faith or to the church or to my family, and they now believe that because they made that promise, they have to they have to stay in this relationship. So it makes things more complicated, if that. And so that's I think that's what culture can bring into this um, idea of 
how can I manage this? Do y'all need to stay in this relationship? Um, so it's just overwhelming. And, and the fact that they feel that they say they feel helpless and powerless, I just want to normalize that and say that's what most people feel in a, in a relationship with a narcissist. Um, so, so it's not very clear whether they are already, they have been. So maybe we can assume that they're not in the relationship anymore or if they are, I just wanted to cover the kind of gaslighting in the term because it was used in this question. Um, from my understanding, gaslighting is actually a term that it hasn't that was just started being used in the 2010s, and it actually comes from a movie from the 40s um, that was about this this man that that made his wife believe that she was insane um, just by kind of convincing her. And the movie was called Gaslight, so that's where that term actually comes from. So gaslighting is this this idea of like kind of imposing the reality on yours and minimizing your reality, your feelings, your emotions, and everything that is happening for you in that relationship. And it can, as I mentioned, it can be very exhausted. So I know I'm biased with this opinion, but the question is how can I overcome and heal from it? And as a therapist, I can tell you therapy is probably one of the best options. To do that, it's hard to just overcome abuse. Overcoming abuse is not just something that time will heal or I'm just going to get over this. Yeah, time makes things a lot less raw and painful. But without the process and a healing process that a therapeutic space can give you, it's going to be very hard. And oftentimes what people do is that they go back into the cycle. They find someone that was maybe a little different, but they find themselves back into the cycle of being... Uh, either attracted or attractive to to people in that similar pattern of abuse. So again, that's my own bias, but without that therapeutic space, it's going to be very hard to overcome and heal. Mm, thank you. I think uh, therapy offers so much valuable support and because we as individual individuals, we might not always be able to look our own behavior and understand it but then when you have someone like in therapy you have someone to guide you through it you have someone to ask you more questions about it and you have someone to give you the tools that you can then use to figure out yourself then it take uh, makes things a lot of easier and i think also what i think about therapy it's it's good because it's consistent. You have to, I mean, you are stick to the treatment plan. You are supposed to have these me uh, meetings compared to if you are trying to heal yourself, you would have to, uh, well, be very commit committed to it and not just, okay, well, I'll do uh, journaling for one week or two weeks. And then, then it usually people might find themselves that then they forget to do those exercises anymore. So when you have someone like you have the therapy and obviously, yeah, ther in therapy, there is like uh, mental health professionals, they know to give you the right tools and they know to guide you through your healing. It's, yeah, I totally agree that when you have dealt with abuse, that therapy is very, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I think a lot of people don't realize that I am a therapist and I have my own therapist. I do therapy every every two weeks to keep myself. So it's more of a maintenance space for me right now because I've done a lot of work. Um, but I think it's a change on culturally. It's a change of mindset to see therapy as something that can help you not only heal and overcome, but continue with your progress. So again, though it's a, it's a bias, it's actually based on evidence that people that use helping professionals 
to support them through difficult times are more likely to be successful and also can do it in less time than when they do it on their own. I think something else that I want to point out is, is, is the traumatic experience of being in this kind of relationships, especially for so long, like for four years. When you say trauma, a lot of people think trauma, maybe being in an accident or um, I'm a soldier and I just came from the ward and all those are trauma with like big T trauma. There's also little T trauma in traumatic experiences that happen from gaslighting and from losing that sense of reality. Like, am I going crazy? Am I, am I making this up? All of that can be traumatic. And I think a lot of people don't realize it and don't see it from that perspective. So as a therapist, I help people identify that that could be a traumatic experience and they have to learn in a therapeutic process that is safe and non-judgmental to overcome that. So I just wanted to point that out that trauma is a spectrum and it can be in a lot of different aspects and being in an abusive respect in an abusive relationship is definitely consider a traumatic experience mm-hmm. this made me think of a follow-up question for you if you had to give out let's say i don't know what number five the most five reliable signs that someone has gone through trauma or experienced some kind of trauma what would those uh, signs be and you can give more or less than five but what comes to your mind first yeah that's a really good question is how you're responding to that particular thing that happened to you. So trauma really, it's it's very broad. It can be very broad, but it's something that happened to you that caused some kind of emotional distress. For some TV people it can be life-threatened, right? Like the examples that I give, a car accident or being in work, because I work with a lot of veterans in the military. I'm, I'm a veteran myself. I work with the military community for a long time. So PTSD is a particular, you know, um, disorder that is diagnosed based on a particular criteria. However, if you experience some type of emotional dysregulation or anything that causes you to feel stress to the level that you feel you can control it, and many people have different reactions to stress, right? So maybe they have flashbacks, maybe they're having a hard time sleeping, maybe they are now very insecure about themselves and they don't consider their own reality to be true because they've been gaslighting for a while. So that question is very particular to the individual. It is depending on how they respond to that traumatic experience that can be. Some people are more somatic. And what that means is that in their body, they experience pain. That is very true, but it doesn't have an explanation that is medically proven. Um, Some people are more behavioral and they start using substances to be able to calm that pain and that anxiety that the trauma did. So it's very particular to the individual. And as a therapist, I take a lot of care on finding out how that person is responding to this environment and how to get them the treatment that they need. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go to the second question. That is, what are the signs that someone is gaslighting you? I have so much self-doubt about the stuff that I'm going through and I am having a hard time separating the lies and manipulation from real- reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's connect this question to the last one and the follow-up question that you made. What are some of the signs that someone experienced trauma? This is a sign that someone is experiencing trauma. They're losing the sense of reality. Am I being manipulated? Am I lying? Am I lying right now? What is happening? That happens after an amount of time, whatever time it takes, that has been questioning that reality and gaslighting. And now they start losing the sense of reality. This is a sign of trauma in someone being in a very abusive relationship. 
I think as a therapist, especially because I specialize in couples, I help people recognize that emotions are not meant to be agreed upon. So if we're in a relationship and I tell you, I feel disrespected, the other person is not to say, no, you don't, because emotions are not to be agreed upon. They're to be listened and validated for. Maybe that was not their intention, but if I feel disrespected, that is my right to feel that way. When you start feeling sense of, of feeling guilty about your emotions or not validated about them, that is a big sign that something very red flag is happening in that relationship is not likely to be healthy. Other signs of manipulation can be emotional manipulation, again, not validating their feelings, telling them that the version of the story is not real. Examples, you know, maybe you're at a party and you see them flirting with someone and it's kind of evident because you know them. You go and let them know how you're feeling and they're like, you're seeing things, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. Uh, when again, that is your perception and needs to be respected, right? Um, sometimes they say you're being so dramatic. Your emotions are, again, being minimized and, and not validated. Um, they tend to always be right. Narcissists are not the ones that are going to take responsibility. And their way is kind of like the only way. So, again, they don't take responsibility. Are you in a relationship in which your person that you're with has never taken responsibility? Maybe they don't, they don't apologize. Maybe they don't change at all. All those are signs of it, kind of my way of the highway. Sometimes they do that by turning the tables. So you start complaining about them flirting at the party, and then now they're telling you, yeah, you're wearing a short dress, and I didn't like that either. So now they're talking about you. And they start to not take not only responsibility, but gaslighting you and making you feel like you're part of the problem or the only problem there is. And again, your feelings are not to be agreed upon and they feel like they are. So I feel humiliated because what you did, that's your problem. You're being dramatic. That's not my problem. Deal with it. That's not a good sign of being in a healthy relationship. Thank you. Uh, then the third question. Why do narcissists bait you? Do they get some sort of satisfaction out of it or is it all just one big manipulation? Yes, so bait, this is another term that is really well known and used in this type of work with narcissists and it's this this idea of kind of poking you, right? The, the term almost provoking you, wanting to have some emotional response from you. And from my understanding about working with them is that it's all about power and control. That's why they do it, because when you're not having an emotional response to them that is positive, they rather have something, even if it's negative. So again, they wanted to start fights. If they are knowing that they're losing control over you in some way emotionally, and you're kind of ignoring them or not paying too much attention, we're not trying to get that power and control back. Um, bringing, sometimes it brings them satisfactions because they know they're back in control. Anytime that you give them an emotional response, they feel like they're in control. And oftentimes they use your insecurities, uh, secrets that you've told them, right? Maybe something that you are not very proud of that you did, sending a new picture to someone and now they have it and they may use that against you. All of that is created to provoke you, to try to get an emotional response from you. And ultimately, like they want to, to have control over you and the relationship. Mm, yeah. How do you, how should I respond to a baiting narcissist? This is the fourth question. So what would you say? Yeah. So responding, this one is difficult because it all depends. It's, it's very easy from the outside to just say, you know, just cut him off and never talk to them again. Right. Um, sometimes I have clients who are 
in uh, going through a divorce or they already had a divorce from a narcissist, but now they have children in common and they have to talk to them because they have shared custody. So sometimes it's not as easy as just cut it off, move on, learn from your experience. If that's a choice for you and you can create distance between you and this narcissist person, that is oftentimes the best choice and the recommended. Do not endure, it's not likely, if they are truly a narcissist, it's not likely that they're gonna change. And if they do, it may be a long term before they do. And so the first step is if you can create distance between you and them, do it. Now, I'm going to bring culture again into this. And I know I mentioned partially uh, this in the last episode. But um, what if the narcissist is your parent? That's very hard for some people to do. Do I cut off my mom, my dad, my spouse, if they are in a committed relationship? I made a commitment. It's based on faith or it's based on my religion, whatever it is. So so the answer is that it's very particular to, for some people, it's very easy to do that, even if they're their birth parents. In some cultures, that's not only very frowned upon, it's very hard to do because there is a lot of judgment into cutting people out of your life. So I help people from the acculturation processing of how to make those decisions and something that works for them. Um, if you cannot just cut them off for whatever reason, and the example of having children in common is actually one that is um, that is a very, very good reason why legally some people just can't not talk to them. Uh, to their ex-partners uh, who are narcissists is trying not to have an emotional response to what they say, which is very hard. But that is the only, the only way that sometimes they end up almost giving up. And sometimes they'll go using children and manipulating you to try to do the things that they want you to do. But not having an emotional response, not taking things personally and knowing that they take satisfaction into you getting emotional and losing that sense of power from your side. So if, if it's processing with your therapist, having some type of meditation before you have to talk to them, some kind of ritual and process to not give into responding emotionally. But more matter of fact, this is where you have to pick up my, the child or this is what needs to happen in short, sweet, to the point. And then if you have have an emotional response later on, which you're a human being. Most people are going to have an emotional response to be provoked. Then process that with someone that is safe. Call your best friend. If you have a therapist, process that in therapy. That way you don't give into that during the conversation. In turn, taking power away from them. Mm, it's hard. Thank, yeah, it is. Uh, Follow-up question. Mm, I was thinking about, if you think about the objective of a baiting narcissist is to get some kind of reaction out of you. It doesn't matter if it's positive, if it's negative. Uh, baiting usually it's probably it's negative response, just some kind of response. So do you have, or do you give any different kind of advice or is there something else that you need to take into account if you are dealing with a physically aggressive, physically violent, narcissist because i have heard that sometimes if you for example try to restrain yourself from this situation that you don't you try to for example not give out any reaction to them it frustrates them because their objective is to get any kind of uh, response out of you so when they are met with let's say silence or you ignoring them or you trying to remove yourself from the situation they might actually get very violent and the situation might get very violent quickly. So is there like, what would you advise in that kind of situations? 
in those kind of situations. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon that that happens. And so it's a great follow-up question into how do we keep it from escalating. I think that anytime that you're already in a relationship in which you fear that the other person is going to be violent, that is a big red flag that you need to somehow not be in that relationship. I think oftentimes, again, and I think I mentioned this in the first episode, people oftentimes end up staying because they feel trapped into their inner child work, maybe the abuse that they received, and now they don't feel that they're capable of leaving this abusive relationship. But I'm here to tell you, whenever you're ready, you are, you can. There are, there's help out there. There's support groups, there's shelters, there's somewhere, somewhere, someone can help you. But this idea that I'm gonna have to give you an emotional response so you don't hit me, is a very dangerous position to be in. And no one deserves to be in that position. No one. So physical safety is a priority for a human existence that is based on just your right to exist. And you should never be in that position. And if you are, your main purpose in life every day should be to try to be out of that relationship. I don't have money. Then you try to find a job that will support you as much as you can, save as much as you can, reach out to people that care about you, reach out to Again, every culture, and because your audience is so broad, it's hard to give answers that will be specific. Um, but there's, for example, in my culture where I'm from, there's a there's something that is called the purple line that is just for victims of abuse, and it's 24-7, and they can call it. And they will find support, psychological, uh, they will find support of shelter, especially if they have a family. So try to find support of, of that is, it's out there. I've been a crisis response. I work with victim advocates. It's just a lot of people feel trapped, like there's nothing else that I can do. There's always something else that I can do. And that's one of the reasons why I agreed to do this type of podcast. So we can spread more knowledge into there's hope. There's something that you can do. There's someone out there who cares. Is it easy to find in some communities? No, I will be the first one to tell you sometimes it's harder in some communities than in others. But just staying in the relationship and feeling like I'm going to give up into my life and just give it into this person so they don't hit me. No one should feel like they have to live that way. Thank you. That is very important to say out loud all this. Mm -hmm. uh, then, well, this kind of is nice. Mm. Transition. Yeah. yeah, transition to the fifth question is, what are some of the most important things that you should do to support someone who is experiencing narcissistic abuse or abusive relationships in general? In general, I think the first one that I'm going to say that is very hard if you're from the outside looking in is non-judgment support, non-judgmental. Because it's very easy for someone from the outside to say, just leave them. Just figure it out. Why do you allow this to happen? Because when you don't have the knowledge of this field or the understanding about their particular situation, that is a very easy thing to say. People don't go into relationships wanting to be abused. They don't. They always dream of having a good marriage, a good relationship, a good friendship, a good parent-child relationship. So you need to start with lack of judgment. And if you have some judgment, just check in before you talk to them. And try to be as supportive as you can without the shoots and the woods, all of that. Because that actually hurts them even more. Let them know that whenever you're ready, you will be there for them. Some people take a lifetime before they leave that relationship. 
Some people can take a couple of weeks. Some people see the red flags in a date and they're like, I'm never going to see you again. How you were raised, again, your culture, your family dynamics, all of that takes into play when people make this type of decisions. And no one should impose you whenever until you're ready. Uh, that's something that was very hard for me to understand in the beginning of my therapeutic career. I thought that if I were to bring this information to you, that something was going to just light up in your head and you were going to just take all the support that I could offer you. And I learned very quickly that's not the case, that oftentimes victims go back into a cycle. And from the outside, that's very painful to see. I had victims that would come to me and say, I'm ready to leave this relationship. Find me a shelter. I'll leave with my kids tomorrow. The next day we'll call them. We're ready for you. The shelter is ready. You have a bed. You have support. And they now change their mind and said, I'm going to give this a try. They promised me they're going to change. And what you need to do, nothing. You say, I'll be here whenever you're ready. Because then if you put more judgment, they're not likely to call you back whenever they're truly ready. Narcissists are very manipulative. That is the reason why they get away with being in these relationships. When they go into the honeymoon period and they're being loving and caring and telling you everything you want to hear, you believe them. And then before you know it, you're back in the cycle. So remind them constantly of their self-worth, that they're worth living a life in peace and in love. And then no one, as I mentioned before, should be in an abusive relationship. And that, that is no life to leave, not only for you, but if you have children, they are being affected by it, whether you want to accept it or not. So oftentimes getting that motivation for yourself may be hard, but if you have other people, even pets that are being affected by it, then maybe find that motivation from within you. You do it for them first, and then you figure it out. But always it's better to come from within you first. But if you don't have that yet, it will come with time. So yeah, that, this one is a hard one to do, especially if you don't have the training that a therapist will have. The judgment is one of the first things that people pass on to victims of abuse. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I think that was very, very helpful, your answer. Um, the last question is, what are some of the most important boundaries that you should set with a narcissist? I know that narcissists don't respect boundaries, so I'm looking for boundaries that I can set with myself. For example, don't believe the future faking. Mm -hmm. Very good question, because this now like they're in a different space of understanding that even if I set boundaries for them, they're not going to respect it anyway. So I'm pretty much wasting my time. Now what I can do is control what I do which is something that you learn in therapy. You can control what they do. You can control what you do and how you respond. I think, as I mentioned before, the first one is limit contact. If you can limit your contact with them or completely break the relationship with them, though it may be painful if it's your parents, if it's a spouse, if it's that divorce that you don't want to have, but the limit contact is one of the first things that I ask clients if they're willing to do, what would it take for you to do that? The second one is that non-emotional response, right? Try not to get into their provoking, their gaslighting. That, that's what they want from you. They want an emotional response from you because they want to get that power and control. Um, you, you have to be in charge of when and how they contact you, right? So you can block numbers or you cannot answer those phone calls. Uh, narcissists will want to call you at any given time and any given day. And you don't answer. We talk about our kids on Saturday mornings every other weekend. If you have anything to say, unless it's an emergency, 
save it for that half an hour that we're going to have as a meeting. If it's not helpful, you can always involve your lawyer or any other family member that can serve as a mediator. You don't have to talk to them alone. They're going to try to drag you back into that abusive cycle and maybe manipulate you into things. It's okay to accept they have too much power over me still and I need to have my lawyer with me. I need to have a police officer. I need to hire someone to be a mediator in this conversation. Um, so make sure that you have some control when and how they contact you. And don't be afraid of asking for extra support. I will be the first one to tell you that most people just don't know how to handle being emotionally provoked. Bait into um, your amygdala gets activated, which is your fight or flight response. And at that moment, your your brain doesn't know the difference between emotional danger and physical danger. So you may start doing and, and saying things that you didn't mean to because your your brain is responding to this provoking. So it's okay to say, can't handle this on my own. It's okay to hire maybe a therapist as a mediator if they're willing to to come to the table with them. So I think those are important things that give you back control instead of going back into probably old patterns of feeling out of control. And those are good boundaries to start with. Mm, thank you so much. Uh, today we had some great questions and great answers. Thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you again, Dr. KP, for coming to this podcast and answering all these questions. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me back. Always, always fun.